Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Three Semi-Wise Men podcast. It's a beautiful day at the time of this recording, and I've got two beautiful people at the time of the recording with me, and they are... Curtis. I'm Chris. And this is Mike. And we are that finishing up... introduction we've had so far. I know, I know. We called beautiful on the radio. On the radio. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a face, face for audio. All right. Um, we're going to end off our... We're ending, right? This is the last one. Sure. We're, yeah, this one. Yes. Yeah. We're ending off our series on the kingdom, finally, on um, what the mission of the kingdom is. And so, we are going to start with the question as, what is the mission of the kingdom of God? Now you two must fight over who's going first. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take it. All right. Battle. <laughs> <laughs> Am I victorious then? You win. Okay. Um, so, uh, from our previous discussions, we already know that the kingdom of God is within us, and uh, because of that, I think we need to invade culture and permeate every single piece of society. And uh, I have a parable um, in Luke 13, chapter 20. Jesus says, again he asked, or, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So I think that with the kingdom of God in us and permeating all society, we can be like that yeast and we can permeate ourselves throughout the dough to make all the dough, which is all the world in this metaphor, (laughs) leavened basically. That way the entire world can have a piece of the kingdom of God. We're also supposed to teach others about the kingdom, this kingdom that we're carrying with us and going throughout the world with, um, which brings me to an obvious uh, verse, I think, uh, the Great Commission. In uh, Matthew 28, verses 17, or 18 to 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And so I'm sure we've all heard that before. But that is, I think, one of the biggest missions we have as citizens of the kingdom of God, going throughout the world and telling everyone about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. And, uh... <laughs> there's the sniffles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... I think the other big mission that I see is for caring for the poor and needy, or the least of these. And Matthew 25, verse 37 says, um, God, so Jesus comes in his glory, and then God is judging the righteous and the unrighteous. And the righteous answer God, and they say, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, what have you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so I think that's our other main mission we have as members of the kingdom of God, is to care for everyone who has any sort of need and in so in so doing, uh, the king tells us that 
whatever we do for the least of these, we're doing for him. So we're directly serving the king of our kingdom by serving the people of this world. I'd say if you were to put an overarching theme to the mission, it'd be to glorify God in everything we do and, and mm-hmm. bring other people to a place where they glorify God. And a, main, <laughs> a common example of this is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, and in this context, it's talking about those. Um, it, it's talking about eating, and people were people were uh, eating food sacrificed to idols, and and it, some people had really hard time with this, and and it's not, and it wasn't wrong to do that, but it's just hard on people's conscience to know that this was food that was go, um, that was being sacrificed to idols, and it just it just bothered them, and so uh, Paul is saying that there. In those cases, if it's bothering people, it's, un- it's unloving to eat those things. And so, even in your eating, be considerate and, and thinking about others and considering other people's consciences, just showing genuine love in the fact that you could eat in a way that, 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 that's harming someone, um, and spiritually or uh, just um, in their conscience. And, and then, I think we forget the next part of this, though. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the Church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many, that, sorry, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And so, then he adds the component of the um, saving work of of showing love and glorifying God through um, just just eating properly, <laughs> and so. And so there's the do what you do for the glory of God, and then it's so that other people would be able to accept Jesus and, and also be able to turn the life around, repent, and believe in Him, and, and thus be able to glorify God and be saved from their selfish ambitions and their own desires too. And so that's how we need to live. Another example is First uh, Peter 2, 11 to 12. Beloved, I urge you as... Sojourn, how do you say that? Sojourner, sojourners. Yeah, and exiles and <laughs> to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The only reason why they glorify God in this case is that they've seen your good works and and they see that man these guys these guys are these guys are different. I want to know what they have that's that uh, I don't have, and so they they turn to God already, and so when He comes, there there's rejoicing, there's gladness because they've seen our good works, they've been changed by it, and so um, they're able to uh, glorify God. Yeah, and and Chris mentioned all the very the more practical ways that that's reflected in in um, caring for the poor, sharing the gospel of the kingdom. Um, yeah. What was your first one? Uh. Oh, and just invading the world as oh, the kingdom. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the mission. Glorify God and to bring other people into a place yeah. where they can glorify God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like the parable that Chris used on the um, yeast in the bread and how it just kind of infiltrates and goes throughout the bread and that's naturally what yeast does. And... Uh, Another parable I like that's very similar to that is the parable of the mustard seed, where um, 
Jesus is saying the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which is this tiny, tiny little seed, which is off, was often seen as like a weed in um, the Jewish farming community. Because once that seed just kind of got into your field, it would just take over everything and just become this massive plant taking over your whole garden. And that that's what the kingdom is like. Once you get that little seed planted in there, it's just going to grow and expand and take over everything. Um, and so someone who has that seed with them is naturally going to start growing the kingdom because that's what the kingdom does through them. Sure. And um, definitely I agree with the overarching thing of the mission is glorifying God. And there's a quote I've heard, I think probably Curtis was it, one who said it a while ago, but that um, missions exist because people aren't glorifying God. The, the like quote is John Piper. John Piper. I should have guessed. <laughs> missions exist because worship doesn't. Yes, that's it. I knew worship was somewhere there. Missions yes. exist because worship doesn't. And so it's to bring everyone to a place of glorifying God. Chris, last podcast. Well, actually, something that both of you mentioned, um, not last podcast, but even two podcasts ago when we were talking about the citizens, we touched briefly on um, the role of the citizens, which naturally comes into the mission. And both of you mentioned ambassador. It was a big word that yeah. both of you used. Mm-hmm. And one uh, verse that Chris quoted was Second Corinthians five eighteen to 21, which is, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was... In Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself, not continuing their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there said, Chris said, the role of the citizens is to reconcile man to God and bring God's appeal to man um is there any where deeper you would like to touch on that or um maybe um ways we go about reconciling people to god or bringing that appeal to man of god no nope, i don't have anything right now i got, yeah, I got something okay. oh <laughs> curtis is going to expand on <laughs> okay thank you curtis uh at a at a rec- recent um bible study that i was leading we started off and talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We delved into that, and, and it was a really good discussion. But as soon as, but then I jumped to this verse, and so that that parable of the Good Samaritan is very like practical and, and just showing love to your neighbor and just going all out and, and love and and um, you know, even with your showing or loving your enemies. And then I came to this passage, and it was, it was very hard for people to discuss this passage for some reason because. It, it isn't this show people love, it's the message that we have to offer people. And, and it says, Who through Christ reconciled himself to, us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespass against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. And, that, and therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, because we have that, this message. And sometimes I think we push back on the idea of talking to people and sharing that the message that we have, the gospel message. And it's kind of it's kind of sad that we do that because 
we have such a powerful message. Like we've been reconciled with God, we've been made right with the God who, who, who's holy. He can't, he can't handle sin, like or he can handle it. But he just, he's, he can't have sin in his midst. Like it's just so separate from it, right? Um, and yet he's through the cross, through, through Jesus' death, he's made it possible for us to be right with God and and be able to come into his presence and, and. And that's just so profound, and we and and it's because we've accepted the the gospel of grace that 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 message that Jesus died for us, and He gives us freely the grace, and so we need to pass that on to people. We need to share that message, and mm -hmm. and it's, and I think part of the reason why it has such a bad rep for sharing the gospel, and and it's it's made less important than just showing love, is because people don't really get it and so they don't get the message they just sort of think they have to do it they have to share it and so it's not a response to the gospel it's just something they're told they have to do because that's just one of the Christian virtues is evangelism and and so you go and do it however they, they tell you to do it hand out tracks go knocking on doors whatever and it just seems like man that's just it's just not a very loving thing to do it's very pushy it's but but if you if you get the message that man I I'm right with God I get to I get to pray to God I get to talk to God He talks back to me and through His Word He just reveals Himself and showing me immense love It's like I I gotta share that and you're gonna find ways of lovingly share that with people and and so it doesn't come across as pushy and and so um, that's what that's what makes us ambassadors is when we get when we have that message we recognize just how much. Um, how powerful that message is. That's what I would like to add to that. <laughs> yes, that's good. I think if we go back to the analogy we use a lot with the ambassadors, is if you're the ambassador for a particular country coming in, you're representing that country, you're ambassador for God, you're representing God. Um, if someone's going to become an ambassador for the country, they're going to only do it if they love their country and they want to spread what they love about their country. Um, you're not going to go into that career if you don't love your country, right? Right. And, and it's the same idea that people go out as ambassadors and feel obligated to do it, and then the message is not preached from love. And the appeal of God to man is love. And so if you're showing that love while sharing that gospel, then that's going to what reconcile people to God is through that love, because that love is powerful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like what you had in there. Um, I want to take a little bit of a a different part, something that kind of speaks to me, kind of because of the career tract I want to go into, and it's a it's a little bit of a different look than some people take, because a lot of people they come to oh I did this now they come to the church, um, and they're like there's gonna be a teaching going on whatever, so they're like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna invite my friend to church, then they will hear this message and they will accept Christ, and then they'll just keep coming back to to church and keep hearing the message, which great if it works, but it doesn't usually work. And we have kind of this idea of of the pastors, as we often label them, as being the front lines of ministry. Um, but I want to read from Ephesians 4, 11 to... Where am I going to? 14. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers 
which all those roles we kind of take as people who work in the church and we label them as pastors, basically. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ, from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with what it, which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the vision of these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, often people that nowadays we see as the front lines going out uh, and preaching uh, to people, uh, shows their role as more of equipping uh, the normal everyday people, I guess for lack of a better word, but the, the congregation will take it in these hands. So we view the pastors being out in the front lines, but really the pastor is designed to take the people in his congregation and teach them to make sure they have a proper teaching and a solid base uh, of faith so that when the world comes at them with their arguments and the enemy comes with his deceitfulness that they'll stand strong because that ha they have that strong basis of faith and so he's equipping the congregation they're equipping and empowering them and helping them discover their gifts and everything a lot more of this kind of discipleship role so that they go out and they're the front lines that they're talking to the people that they work with in their sphere of influence and they're discipling them as well and teaching them not just saying hey come to church and then let the pastor deal with them the whole time but they're going out as well and often when we read, like, Acts and all these um, epistles and stuff, we see, and they say that all these great numbers are coming to the church. We say, wow, Paul is doing a great job, and Peter is doing a great job. He's bringing thousands of people to the gospel, and they did do stuff like that. But the church grew so rapidly just because of the people that they don't mention specifically in the Bible that are traveling from town to town and sharing the gospel with people. That's what caused the church to grow. There's not just two or three people are able to bring tens of thousands of people and then have all of a sudden this faith that is still dominating culture, to, well, 2,000 years later, and is still very prevalent. Um, it's the everyday people going out. And so we got to view ourselves more in the mindset that we are also um, sharing the gospel, that we are actually the front lines of the gospel, not just the people who are employed by a church uh, to do it, but that it's an everyday thing for everyone. Um, Curtis mentioned last podcast, oh, I'm going to flip to this one, which is a good segue into our next question, um, which he went on about the parable of the talents, which is something he touched on multiple times during uh, this series, and how we have these talents and maybe he'll go into it a bit more but we'll we'll see but we want to see what are the tools we have to complete this mission okay I'll start uh, I had an interesting idea one tool that we have is the cross and my basis for that is in Mark chapter 8 verse 34 um, he, it says, when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so 
Jesus is asking us to take up our cross, which basically means to die, because the cross is a symbol of death. So we're dying to our old selves. And so I think the cross is a metaphorical tool by which we can crucify our old selves. We can lay them down, we can kill them, however you want to put it. And that frees us to take on our new identity in Christ. Uh, because if we are still our old selves, then there's, we, there's no way we can do what our mission is in the kingdom. And so we, we just have to discard our old selves entirely. Uh, another tool is obviously uh, God's word. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so, how are we going to know what to do? How are we going to learn about what it is we're teaching people? It's through the gospel, or you know, scripture, sorry. <laughs> Which is, is basically, basically <laughs> the same thing, just to keep the uh, language the same. Which God breathes out and is profitable for us to use. And uh, Jesus also tells us this in Matthew chapter 4 when he's arguing or uh, rebutting the devil and he says man shall not live by bread alone um, but rather God's word and his so his word sustains us it gives us hope and it trains us and uh, another tool is the Holy Spirit which he's a person but he, he helps us and we can use his help so in that way he's a tool in <laughs> <laughs> the most friendliest sense. yes <laughs> Uh, when we're obeying the commission, it says, go out and make disciples of the nations. In order to do that, we need to talk to people, as Curtis was saying, without talking, that we can't really teach them that well, for the most part. And how do we know what to say? By the Holy Spirit's power. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, 19, it says, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And some translations say when uh, when you're put on trial or taken to prison or whatever. So we can rely on the Holy Spirit to give us uh, the words to say for whatever situation we're presented with in life. Yeah, I stole one of my... I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> jerk. Sorry, sorry Curtis. Uh, Chris is a tool. <laughs> in the nicest sense the possible. Nicest sense possible. <laughs> Basic. I looked at um, Matthew nine thirty five and and then almost in yeah the entire chapter ten Matthew ten because and I could just I think there's just so many I don't like tools is such a weird term for this but there's so many so many things that help us complete this mission and go out and do it and I'll just. So I, I could literally just list a ton of stuff, but I'm just going to point out a few things here because cause this is, chapter 10 specifically is where Jesus is sending out his disciples, and so he's he's giving them he's giving them instruction on what to do as they're going out. But he starts off with uh, Matthew 9:35, where he is, and Jesus went out. Okay, I'll just yeah, let's read it. And Jesus went out, went through all. 
Just read it, Curtis. And Jesus <laughs> went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the work laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into his harvest. So, our first tool is prayer. Prayer that God would send people out to do his, do his mission and complete it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. But then, but then right away, he, in chapter 10, he goes and turns around on them and says, and calls his disciples together and says, go and go out and do, do the work of a harvester, laborer. And so, and so that's actually my next, my next tool is the, the, the call to be, to go and that sending. Because often, unless we're like commissioned and sent out, which is why the Great Commission is, is so important and such a vital part to Christianity, because Jesus is actually sending us out. And so just having that knowledge that we're sent just gives us that boost to go, okay, yeah, this is, this is what I know I'm called to do this, because everyone, every Christian is. We're called to go out and, and, and make disciples. And so, yeah, that's a huge one. And then, then this is the one you stole from uh, the Holy Spirit about not being anxious because we have the Holy Spirit and that's a, a tool <laughs> giving us peace and the right words and stuff and then we have then we have promises too that like 1028 which is do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul our soul soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. And so, we hear that quote a lot for not being anxious, but when he's talking about the sparrows and, and God knowing that amount of hairs on your head, he's actually talking about in the context of, of going out and, and making disciples and, and evangelizing and, and missions, essentially. And so we can go out with that confidence knowing that God's got everything figured out. He just he knows what's going on. He's, nothing is beyond his, his sight, beyond his control. And in a promise of reward in verse 40, 40 to 42, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person receives a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives the little one, these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so just that promise of reward is, I think, a tool to help us because we, we have that um, knowledge that we're not doing this for um, no reason. <laughs> There's actually something at the end of it and, it, and it's going to be awesome. He doesn't get into specifics here, but... And I completely... I agree with Chris on the, I think their main, main tool is the gospel itself, because that's where they're going out and he says, and proclaim, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and I just, one of my favorite verses, which I don't know if I've, I might have quoted on here before, but Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so, 
the gospel itself, as we're proclaiming it, is what's going to bring people salvation. That's what saves is when people believe that message. And Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And so as we're going out proclaiming this gospel, people, people can come to faith in it because they hear it and, and, and the Holy Spirit works in that truth that we're proclaiming. Just like we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, what, its main function is to lead people into all truth. And so as we're proclaiming it, the Holy Spirit's working in that. And so he's leading people to himself. And yeah, and also if in um, Matthew 10, as they're going out proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God, they're healing and doing practical, helpful things too, which is just showing the love of God, which which will show people that their message isn't just, which is just a load of <laughs> nothing, where they proclaim a loving God and then they don't do anything loving to anyone, but they're actually showing love as they're going out proclaiming that message of of, of God's love for us and His grace. And so that itself it could be considered a tool. <laughs> Although I don't like the word tool. <laughs> these, these things are just something that should just happen. It's what, like, it's, it's, it's worship. So worship is always a response to what we know is true of who God is. And so as we get to know God, we get to know His love for us, then we just, an outpour, our worship, our, our like Romans 12, 1 says, in view of the mercy of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So this is your... This is your spiritual act of worship. So, like, as these aren't really tools. These are just like this would just happen. This would just pour out of us as we're as we're delving into who God is and building a relationship with Him and and, and the being body of Christ and stuff like that. So, <laughs> it was funny because you said I felt weird calling it tools, and then you said they're things that help it help us get a task done, which is the definition of a tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you said that. I was like, well. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. That's why I was trying to make the connection with tool and stuff. Okay. But I still don't think that really works. <laughs> I was trying to make it work, but after I finished saying all that, I was like, no, it still doesn't work for me. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, Chris said something interesting that I didn't really think of when it comes to the question that was um, discarding ourselves. Um, putting on the new self, and and that allows us to do the mission of the kingdom. And I was thinking about how that just that just makes sense because if we don't discard our old self, our old self is who is separated from God still because of our iniqu iniquities, our sin. Um, whoops. <laughs> because of our sin. So if we don't discard that old self, then we still have something that's clinging us to that separation to that old self. So we require that new self that's built upon God to be able to fully proclaim his gospel and, and continue mm -hmm. the, the mission. And I think a, a really big tool for us <laughs> is our... Let me find another word. <laughs> another thing we can use is, um, or that God has given us to use, is uh, our experience. Our, our testimonies are, are powerful things. Everyone, well, a lot of people think they have a boring testimony, but it, your testimonies are never boring because God's involved in them, and God is never boring. Um, and so you can hear many stories that relate to us because we can easily relate to someone we see in in flesh, which is another good reason of of using the word. We see Jesus as flesh, someone we can relate to and see how to live godly because he was a man. 
Um, and so we, we see testimonies of how people have changed and people we know and we realize, hey, I can change too because this person can, he's human, I'm human, we both have faults, but we can change. And it's a good way to put yourself in a place where you can minister to someone. Uh, Curtis said off the bat with the first question, um, quoted the a verse with Paul about um, eating food sacrificed to idols and how he didn't do that because it bothered people. Um, and there's areas that we can can do that to more speak better to to speak better to someone. And so an example I think of, I don't know where exactly it is, but Paul says, "For the Jews, I became a Jew." And so he's entering. It's in, I know this part's in Acts. He's entering some Jewish, a heavily Jewish populated town, and he's going through the ceremonial cleansing rituals um, that he doesn't have to do because Christ has abolished that old system, but he does it so he can speak better to the Jews. So he knows that by going through this whole cleansing ceremony, it's not an offense to God. It's something God had commanded before that doesn't have any hold over him anymore. Mm -hmm. But he does it so he can more speak better to those people. So we can adapt to the culture we're in as long as it doesn't go against the authority of God and God's word as we talked about quite a bit last podcast. But we can adapt to the situations to be able to speak better to people. And that's where our experience came in. Paul had the experience to know what that Jewish ritual is because he is Jewish and he was a Pharisee. So he was quite high up in the Jewish ranks. He knew all the rules and all the practices. So he was able to use that experience to go and to speak to them. And I also like what Curtis said about there being a prize at the end. By the nature of God, him being the perfect being and everything, we should quite naturally have this worship come to him because that's what he deserves. That what is what's required because of who he is. God, well, God giving us free will, which we debated a long time ago for a long while. Um, <laughs> but, and I disagree with myself on that podcast. Oh! Hey! <laughs> Anyways, that's another discussion. Um, yes, me and Curtis fought for a while. Oh, yeah. It was our longest podcast before our last week's, or last podcast, because um, we were <laughs> fighting. Um, but anyways, because um, we have that uh, free will that we can choose to make the, the foolish decision of not worshiping God. Um, he knows our sinful nature and our motivation that a prize. <laughs> uh, he's loving enough to give us a prize, though we don't necessarily necessarily should have a prize for doing it. It should just come naturally. But because God loves us, he gives that a motivation to run that race and have that prize. Something Curtis mentioned last podcast. Oh, now i got to find the verse. <sighs> Which segues us lovely, lovely, nicely into the next question. Um, the parable of the pearl in Matthew thirteen forty-five to 46. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this pearl is so great and so important that nothing else matters. He sells everything else to capture that pearl. And so it's, that's our highest priority is have that pearl, which is, which is God. And having him is our highest priority. If we don't have that priority, then none of the horizontal happens. And so it's through God and our pursuing of a relationship with God that we're allowed to do this horizontal. And a heavy, important person in doing this is the Holy Spirit. 
So I think when we're talking about the mission of God, we it's important to look at who's moving and ever presence in this world to help promote us to do the mission of God. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What does the role of what role does the Holy Spirit have in this mission? Okay. Uh, I was just, when I was thinking about this question, I think the question could also be asked in this way, which would be like, uh, how does the Holy Spirit operate in us or work with us or things like that? My questions weren't good enough. Okay. No, your questions, <laughs> your questions were good, but it, it caused me to kind of study who the Holy Spirit is mm-hmm. and his roles in more general sense, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, my, I had a friend who shared uh, a story with me from uh, teaching on the Bride of Christ. And uh, in Jewish, I guess, wedding procedures, the the bride and the bridegroom, they sign an agreement, they're going to get married or whatever. And then the bridegroom goes and prepares a place for his bride. And that's... Well, I'll, just, I'll finish the whole thing first. And uh, so during this time, uh, the bridegroom is preparing the house, and the bride is supposed to stay pure and until the prepared time, until she doesn't know when it's going to be ready, but at some point there's going to be a house ready and she can go be with her bridegroom. And there'll be much celebration and all that wonderful stuff. And uh, during this time, um, the bridegroom has a servant whom he sends to go and help the um, bride to, uh, to help prepare her as well as to help her meet any needs she might have. And so this this whole bridegroom of Christ or bride of Christ thing is like a metaphor for Jesus, the bridegroom, and who prepares a place for us, and the Holy Spirit, which is the servant that the bridegroom sends to us, the bride, to help prepare us and to help give us what we need in our current time. And uh, so I said that the bride has to stay pure. And so one way that the Holy Spirit prepares us is by sanctifying us. And when we're sanctified, if we are, we're becoming innately good. And when we are good, we will do good things. And thus we can fulfill um, the requirements in the Bible or we can do good things like feeding the hungry and caring for the least of these. Yeah, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9 says... Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Actually, sorry, I won't read the whole thing. <laughs> um, he, so he tells us that the, righteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the righteous will. And he finishes that off by, But you were washed, and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of, Lord Jesus, in the, name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. And so, when we're sanctified, as I was saying before, we can we can do good because we can't do good without the Holy Spirit. Um, and I was also saying uh, that the Holy Spirit provides for our needs in that um, bride and servant um, metaphor. And in Acts chapter one verse eight, it says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea." and Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, in order to do some of the actions that God requires of us in this life, or asks of us, I suppose, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, he will give us whatever we need to fulfill 
whatever mission we have may, may have in this life. If uh, it's healing, then he'll give us the power to heal. Or if it's words of encouragement, then he'll give us the words to say. And so he empowers us to be a witness and to teach others. Lastly, the Holy Spirit teaches us all things, which is in John 14:26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so there it is again that he's helping us, giving us what we need for whatever circumstances we may have, and teaching us all things so that when we, because we, if we have access to all things, then we can reach any person in any situation. I am going to approach this from the, the role in the Holy Spirit in, in not helping us, but helping the people we're reaching out to. Okay. So, starting in John 3, and this is when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the uh, Pharisee, and he comes and he asks, Jesus, okay, I'll start with Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus replies, How can a man be born when he's old? How can he be, enter a second time in the mother's womb and be born again? And then he says, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel what I say. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it, is going, where it goes. So it is with everyone born of spirit. What Jesus is saying is, you're born once, you're born as flesh, and then there's, a, there's like a, a second birth, and you're born as a spirit. And so, that's, you don't really know when that's going to happen, he says, it just, it just, the spirit comes and it just sort of happens. And, and a lot of times we, or the Bible talks a lot about being adopted as children of God, and, but here it makes a, it adds another dynamic to that adoption where it's not just you're going from one place and becoming part of a new family or going from a, a bad family and being adopted into a new family or being orphaned and abandoned to being adopted into a family. You're sort of going from one place to another. It's, it's a complete rebirth process. Like you become a completely different person. And so, um... And so this leads to the next point, which is John 4, verse uh, 20, well, I got, oh, it's 21. This is when Jesus is talking to this uh, woman at the well, and, and, um, and they're talking about worship. Sir, or she says to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. Seeking such people to worship. God's spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so the Holy Spirit comes along and and we're we, we're reborn pretty much into in the spirit and then and then as as mike was saying with the pearl a great worth that we go out and sell everything for in that rebirth process suddenly we just give up everything and and we become 
true worshippers because we're 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 all about God now. We're not. There's nothing. We're reborn in the spirit, so we're able to worship God for one. But and we're able to worship Him at, for who He is because the spirit. One of its main functions is to lead us into all truth. And so as as He's doing that, we become better better worshippers because we know our God properly, and so we're able to worship Him for who He is. And 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 so God's turning people changing people's lives and creating them, making them into people that worship Him uh, just at the, the highest quality that no forced religion could possibly create in anyone. And, and then finally, Ephesians 1 verse 14 or 13. In Him you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed, and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so he changes lives, he transforms us into true worshipers, which goes beyond just like singing songs and, <laughs> and meaning what you say. It means like an entire life lived out in worship for him. And then he then he's also the guarantee that, 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 uh, that seal, that mark on your life that you belong to God, that you are in fact adopted. And and he'll just carry you through to that to um, to the inheritance to that reward. And so the Holy Spirit's role is is all penetrating through through salvation, bringing people to to Christ. And and so like he helps us as we go out and reach the reach the world. He gives us the strength. He gives us the assurance what we're doing. He gives us. Gives us confidence in the words to say, like we were saying before, and 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 peace. But he's also working in other people's lives as well. And so, <laughs> really, it almost, to a certain extent, it feels like we don't really have to do much at all. We just have to proclaim the gospel and just be be who we're called to be. And, and the Holy Spirit sort of just does the rest of the work, and it's, it's it's really quite refreshing. You get quite a relief from all the talk about you have to go out and make disciples, and just this pressure on Christians to to live a certain way and it's just like, okay, I can sort of, I can sort of worship God and, and love God and love people and, and share the gospel and he'll worry about the rest and I don't have to, I don't have to stress about those details. Mm -hmm. So how I, how I, if I get the specific method right and things like that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where I say that the Holy Spirit is the most important tool. <laughs> <laughs> um, is because we could do all the effort, we could put all of it in, but it's not going to work unless the Holy Spirit is, is moving it and is, is working with that. And um, I think of times when I've gone on this particular missions trip where we would go to um, go door to door and offer to do free yard work or housework for anyone if they they needed it and then we try to or we pray for them afterwards and how many I've probably done the trip three three times and every time we go out and we start knocking door to door and no one wants us to help they say no nah, no 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 and we're like you know what maybe we should pray <laughs> and so we pray that for the spirit to guide us to where it wants us to go and instantly the next place is a place that needs our help and has been praying for help this whole time. And so we would never find it if we didn't stop and pray and ask for the Spirit's guidance. It's only 
because of the spirit that we found those places. And so I see it, it works both ways. I mean, Chris focused on more what the spirit does for us, and Curtis focused on what the spirit does for others. And it's the same, it's both, <laughs> obviously. And I think, I know you both agree with that. Oh, yeah. The spirit gives us the power, the words, the gifts, um, that we need the boldness to go out and, and speak the gospel and and keep us pure and keep us our minds on um, on the word of God and, and the mission of God and then at the same time the Holy Spirit is interpreting scriptures for both us and even non-believers if they have a deposit of the Holy Spirit in them the only way they would understand the words of the well the word is um, through the Holy Spirit's interpretation uh, to them. Mm -hmm. And it's like um, the parable of the sower, um, which goes with Curtis's last point, that the sower is just like throwing seed all over the place. Um, <laughs> if you, I mean, when you watch, like, say you're watching a cartoon or something, and uh, they're planting a farm. They're going down and putting a seed in, and then they're putting a seed in very carefully in the spots. This sower is just throwing seed all over the place. It's going on the path, it's going in the, the thorns, it's going into the soil, and it's doing all this stuff. So the sower is just spouting the Word of God uh, everywhere. And some people it doesn't take because the Spirit isn't interpreting that Word for them. Um, but some people it takes in their heart, and then it grows and produces that fruit because that spirit has interpreted the word to them. So someone could be listening to the podcast, and if the spirit's not interpreting the scriptures that we're reading, then they're, not, they're just going to not get it. And so it's only through the work of the spirit at the end that any fruit comes from it. Any last thoughts? Uh, no one comes to the Father except by the spirit. <laughs> through Jesus. <laughs> through Jesus. It's a whole trinity affair. Yes. Yes. All right, so that's the end of the series. It's a good series. Uh, I would tell you what the next series is, but I don't think we even know yet. So <laughs> look forward to that. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes so you can get those podcasts automatically downloaded to whatever device you use. Um, go to our Facebook page, 370 Wiseman Podcast, because then it's easy to find out when we posted the podcasts. And also check us out at 370wiseman.wordpress.com for podcasts, and I'm sure eventually we'll get around to putting some blog posts up there as well. Um, so yeah, have a, a good time. This is Mike. This is Chris. Curtis. See you later.